had conducted his ministry to the Ephesians. Most of his work was very personal, and he knew each of the people, each of the men that he was speaking to personally. And he had served the Lord with humility, and he said that that was an example to them how to serve the Lord. He had submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul mentioned how he had been brought to tears. Tears because of the sins of the people. Tears because he had worked with new Christians, helping them in their new walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul had suffered opposition, especially from the Jews, as his work as an evangelist, as a teacher, and as a preacher. And then Paul mentioned that his entire message had been motivated by one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. This afternoon, we're going to look at a few other themes that Paul mentions in this particular message. Paul anticipates what his future is going to be like. Secondly, Paul recaps the gospel message. Thirdly, Paul gives some final instruction to the Ephesian elders. And then fourthly, Paul will commend his hearers to God. And so as we picture Paul surrounded by the Ephesian elders and the others who were with them, the atmosphere is of a final goodbye. Paul was determined to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit had constrained him to go. Paul had no choice. He was going to Jerusalem. On the other hand, wherever Paul had gone previously, people would tell him that he was going to be in trouble in Jerusalem. He was going to be imprisoned. He was going to be afflicted in Jerusalem. And the Spirit had told other Christians that these things were going to happen. So Paul knew clearly what was happening to him. He was jumping into the lion's den. He was leaping from the frying pan into the fire. There was going to be trouble for Paul in Jerusalem. And when he got there, no matter how much he kept his head down and kept a low profile, he was going to be imprisoned. He was going to be in trouble. And knowing this, Paul assures the Ephesians that he understands his future. And the first thing that Paul mentions is that he wanted to go to Jerusalem. Previously, he had mentioned that he wanted to be there by Pentecost. He was going to Jerusalem. He was not being constrained by the Holy Spirit and he was doing a slow walk there. He was going there willingly and as quickly as he could. And then secondly, more importantly, Paul says, I esteem my life of absolutely no account. I'm not interested in my life. My life is not that precious to myself. But what is even more precious is that I, like a Greek athlete, like an athlete who's in a race, may finish the race. That was Paul's goal. And he continues, I was given a job to do by the Lord Jesus to bear testimony of the good news of the grace of God. I am going to finish my race 
by bearing the good news of the grace of God. Regardless what happens to me, Paul is ready to finish the race and cross the finish line. When you think about it, each one of us is in a race. Our lives are like a race, aren't they? And we are in a marathon that began when we were born. The marathon continues until the day we die. And are you like Paul, determined to finish the race, still embracing the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the starting point of our Christian life, and at the end will be standing there watching you cross that finish line and giving to you eternal life. I encourage you to stay on the path, to enter by the narrow door. Jesus already taught this many times. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Paul was entered through the narrow gate. Paul was on that hard path. And we are encouraged to be on that path. If we read through the scriptures, we, we get the idea that Paul did not die in Jerusalem. And after some time, he ended up in a prison in Rome. And he was still on that path. The path didn't end where he thought it was going to end. But he did start to see his end more clearly. And as he thought about the end, he wrote Timothy in one of the last letters that we have from, from Paul. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That was Paul's goal, to finish the race by keeping the faith. And so, brothers and sisters, I tell you, be like Paul. Stay in the race. Stay in the race until the end. Do what you can to stay on that narrow, difficult path. Enter the narrow gate. Keep the faith your entire life, and you will be richly rewarded. And after assuring the Ephesians, that he knew where he was going. He was not afraid for his life. He just wanted to end his life well, doing what he had been given to do. Paul goes to another point. He recaps the gospel. And Paul in Acts 20, 21 says, I testify both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's answering a very important question. He's saying, what must you do to be saved? And the answer, which is, is asked on occasion, is twofold. He says you need to repent towards God. And secondly, you need to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And these two concepts for us are inseparable. Even the esteemed John Murray writes, it is impossible to disentangle faith and repentance. Saving faith is permeated with repentance. 
and repentance is permeated with faith. Therefore, keeping what John Murray and what Paul is saying about what the gospel is all about, the focus of our faith is Jesus Christ. And why is this? We need Jesus to come between us and God the Father, who is majestic, high, and mighty. We need an intermediary between us and God the Father. We need Christ's death to purge us from our sins. We need Christ's punishment to acquit us from the guilt of sin. We need Christ's blood to make us clean and pure. We need Christ's perfect obedience to appease the wrath of God. We need Christ's resurrection from the dead to purchase righteousness for ourselves. And when we repent before God, it gives us hope and confidence of salvation. Repentance shows us that God is the one who forgives sins. It shows us that God is willing to adopt us as his children, bring us into the family of God. It teaches us that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that our lives will become holier. They will become come filled with goodness. We are interested in godliness. And all of these were part of what Paul had taught the Ephesians. He had made it very clear what the gospel meant. He made it very clear about the Lord Jesus Christ. He made it very clear how lives would be transformed. And what Paul was teaching was not new. Even Jesus said that Jesus said, this is when he was talking to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus said, thus is, is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all generations from Luke 24:45 we have that same message today and let's say that you are out there and you said i'm saved and a person looks at you and says what does it mean when you say you are saved Will you be able to answer that question? You can just use these words of Paul. You can say, I repented to God for my sins. And secondly, you could say, I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And depending on how that person responds, then you can elaborate what repentance meant. Or you can elaborate what faith means and you can use the scriptures to show them what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. And so we've seen how Paul anticipated his future, how Paul talked about the gospel message, but then Paul gives some final instructions to the leaders of the Ephesian church. We read in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in 
among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves shall arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. These were Paul's words to the Ephesian elders, the overseers of the church. And Paul is using some language that's been used in the Old Testament. He's comparing them to shepherds. He said, you're like a shepherd. Even Jesus said he was like a shepherd when he said, I am the good shepherd in John 10, verse 11. And he says, first of all, pay careful attention to yourselves. This was a theme of Paul. When he wrote Timothy towards the end of his life, he told Timothy in Timothy 4.16, keep close watch on yourself and the teaching. And so he's saying, be careful. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to your doctrine. Pay attention to your life. And then he's asking the elders, do you preach and teach of repentance and faith? And you elders... Pay attention to each other. Listen to each other to make sure everyone in the eldership is preaching and teaching the same thing. Everyone is living a life that is holy. Watch each other so that none of you become proud and arrogant. You don't become proud and domineering. And one of the reasons we want to have a plurality of elders in a church, just like the Ephesian church, is so that the elders can be accountable to each other. They can watch each other and help each other. And then secondly, Paul says to the elders, he says, pay attention to all the flock. And the way that Paul does this is very interesting. He brings to bear the importance of their position as an overseer, as an elder. He said, you didn't become an overseer because you were the most popular person in the congregation. You didn't become an overseer because you were the smartest one in the congregation or you had the nicest personality. He said, you were chosen by the Holy Spirit. And we don't know exactly how they chose overseers or elders in the Ephesian church, but we do know that Paul credits the Holy Spirit for choosing these men. And then <clears throat> he continues. He's looking around and he says, you as overseers have been given a flock. And every single person in that flock was paid for by a very high price, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we consider who is in your flock, you should not neglect anybody, you should not ignore anybody, you should not discard anybody. Every single sheep in your flock is paid for the blood of Jesus Christ. And what do you do with a flock of sheep? You have to feed them, 
You have to bring them to water, and you need to protect them. And so when we look for leaders of the church, we look for men who can feed us the word of God. We look for men who can lead us beside still waters. They can comfort us through times of difficulty. And we look for men who are able to discern the dangers in this world and to guide us to places of safety. And then Paul, speaking of dangers, says there's something that no shepherd wants to encounter, but it's going to happen to you, he said to the elders. There are fierce wolves out there. They're circling your flock, and they will attack. Some of the flock may be taken. Even worse, Someone here, as Paul looked around at those Ephesian elders, and he's probably looking in all their eyes, there are some here who may twist the word of God and add to conditions of salvation or elevate themselves as a super leader or something or teach that holiness is very important and you can only be saved if you do certain things or whatever. Paul says, look out. Paul says, be alert. Watch out for anything that will corrupt the gospel and lead the people in your flock away. And those words are not new words. That particular passage is often used when a new pastor is installed or he's brought into a new church. And when you hear that the word of God is being preached, you should have little Christian antenna. You're listening intently to what people are saying to make sure what they are saying conforms to the word of God. And if you hear something that doesn't, your antenna should quiver. And you should go and question that person on what they have said. And you need to examine yourselves to make sure that you're not sliding sliding away from the faith that your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ is waning. You're becoming lax in how you live your life. And you need to steer far and far and away from any cult or any false religion. Sometimes it's interesting to hear about them, but don't do it if there's any danger of you falling for what they have to teach. And we need to protect those who are under our care from ungodly ideas, from ungodly practices. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he, he said this, be watchful and firm in the faith. Act like men, he wrote them, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And so in review, when Paul spoke to the Ephesians, and this is his farewell, he reassures them that he knows about his future. He's not too worried about living or dying. He's worried about finishing well. He knew the gospel he wanted them to be able to articulate the gospel and teach it to others. 
He knew what might happen to the church, and he told the Ephesian elders to be alert for anything that would endanger themselves or their flock. And then lastly, we read that he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In verse 32. And lastly, in verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. He is telling the Ephesian elders that even though he is leaving, and they may never hear from him or see him again, that first of all, they will always have God. We read in Hebrews, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13, 5. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do for me in Hebrews chapter, chapter 13, verse 6? But secondly, they will have the word of his grace. And when Paul says the word of grace, isn't that the gospel? And he uses this expression in a number of times in his writings. And he's saying, because you have God, who's always there, and you have the gospel, the words of grace, you will be built up in the faith. Your faith in God will be increased as you rely more and more upon God. You don't have to come to me and ask me any more questions. You go to God. Your understanding of the gospel will become more and more precious to you when you understand the extent of God's grace. And isn't it true, the longer we live, the more we understand that God has really been gracious to you. When you think about everything that's happened in your past, how God has protected you, how God has been gracious to you, how God has forgiven you of so many things. And so you're great. The grace of God becomes more and more something that you admire and that you respect and you just honor God for what he has done for you. And Paul says something else. You will be given an inheritance. An inheritance if you've been sanctified. And so you can look forward to your inheritance and parts of the inheritance are eternal life. And you'll have a new glorious body, free from the corruption of sin. And that you will be able to serve in the house of God. And you will be able to glorify him forever. And then Paul, as he is ending his time with the elders, needs to and wants to. And if you read through all of Paul's writings, he does this frequently. He prays with them. And we can follow Paul's example. We can commend others in prayer, especially if someone mentions to you or you see them and you're not sure if you're ever going to see them again. You can commend them in prayer or if their circumstances have changed and you know that they are going to be in a place where there's temptations and there's dangers, you can commend that person in prayer. And why do we commend people in prayer? 
is because we can't do much to help them if we need to help them physically. That is what we can do. We can commend people in prayer. So when a fellow Christian is going through an illness that might be fatal, you can't do much for that person, maybe help them a little, but the least you can do is commend them with prayer. And people who are going through one difficulty over after another, we can commend them in prayer. And we should always be ready to pray for others and pray with others and bring their circumstances to God. That is what we can do, and that is our part. And that's why we say when people become senior citizens and not able to do as much, or, or people are not able to do much, at least they can pray. And so we need to commend each other to prayer. This is nothing unique. Paul wrote the Galatians in Galatians 6 verse 2, bear one another's burdens. I can't bear the burdens of most of you. You're going through various trials and tribulations as you're living your lives, but at least I can commend you in prayer to God. I can talk about the salvation that you have. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. I can pray that as a prayer for you. And so that's how Paul left the Ephesians. He had given them a timeless message. He had given them examples from his own life. He had shown them how to look at their own future as he looked at his future. He had reinforced the gospel message and wanted his people to remember the gospel and apply it to every aspect of their lives. He told them to be alert, especially against spiritual forces, spiritual wolves, those ones who want to come and carry you away. And he showed us how we can commend each other in prayer.